0: Well, good morning, LCM.
1: Good morning. morning.
0: Look, this morning, all over North America, pastors will pull out their best sermons. This is High Attendance Sunday for most congregations, in fact. This is a chance to declare the unparalleled truth of all that Jesus has accomplished. We love and we support these very efforts. Our hearts also burn for the lost, and we are filled with a desire to elevate Jesus in our thoughts and in our actions. The truth is, is that many view this morning as the Super Bowl of Christian services. They experience an influx of people that they will not see again for at least 12 more months. And they want to take advantage of the rare opportunity. This is LCM. Yeah, come on. And we have never done things the way that others around us do. We love and appreciate some of those efforts, especially the ones that are actually sincere. However, our desire this morning is not aimed at high attendance. Maybe you could say that we are aimed at high capacity. But that is entirely different than high attendance.
1: Church, the truth is, is that we could preach to you an absolutely beautiful message this morning from Matthew 27 and verse 27. We even put it on a slide for you. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Church, what an honor and a privilege to deliver a message about a criminal act that became the crowning act. Oh, yeah. See, he laid down his life that he might take it up again. He was seen as a criminal. He was mocked. He was beaten. But this was actually his crowning achievement that a man, a human being,
2: would be in that position only to take up his life again. Amen. We could preach to you another beautiful message from Hebrews 7, 14 through 17. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Man, church, what an honor and privilege to, del- to deliver a message about the indestructible life of our great king and priest, who has achieved the greatest victory in human history and is completely unparalleled in that respect.
3: Wow. Oh, come on, saints this morning we could also preach to you a beautiful message from 1 Corinthians 15, 12-19. In fact, we have in the past. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did, if He did not raise Him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost if only for this life we have hope in christ we are to be pitied more than all men but praise god he is risen saints what an honor and a privilege to deliver a message about the resurrection that is both the fulcrum and the lever upon which jesus moved the foundations of the world saints and in that respect he stands unparalleled in the course of human history by the way of this singular monumental event.
4: Amen. I don't know. Church, we could preach to you a beautiful message this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. Listen to this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man. The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, somebody say Adam, Adam. all die. So in Christ, somebody say Christ, Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then... The son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Church, what an honor. What a privilege to deliver a message about Jesus triggering the Adamic bomb. Initiating the victory of mankind over death in just a single action. He is truly unparalleled in the triggering event of a whole new world. That will be free from war with death and sin.
0: You know what, saints of the living God? We could preach to you a beautiful message from Luke chapter 24, verses 2 through 4. It says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly... Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. What an honor and privilege to deliver a message about the great chiasm that all of Scripture points to and witnesses. The beauty of the empty grave on that singular day. Look, the law, the prophets, and the writings all testify to this momentous moment as Moses and Elijah, who are the embodiment of the law and prophets, witness the transfiguration, the empty tomb, and the ascension so that they can give testimony to this unparalleled event in human history.
5: We could preach to you from Romans 5.12. It would be a beautiful message. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sin. What an honor and privilege it would be to deliver a message about the defeat of man's oldest enemy. Death was the very first enemy to show up as an effect of sin in the human race. And because of the unparalleled truth of the resurrection... This is the last effect of sin to be seen leaving the human race. Yeah. What a beautiful thing it would be for us to spend the day glorying in all that Christ achieved for us 2,000 years ago in an empty tomb. Oh, church, we could preach
6: a beautiful message from Philippians 2:8 through 11 that says... And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And what an honor and privilege to deliver a message about the way Jesus chose to endure the agony of the cross instead of being honored with the crown. And therefore, in the resurrection, Jesus received a heavenly coronation that gives him a name that is above every human, every angel, and spiritual
5: name that has ever existed. Well, those would have been seven beautiful Yes. Resurrection Sunday messages. They would have been extraordinary. And they would bless any high attendance service that would have plainly set forth the victory of Jesus in unparalleled ways. We do admire our brothers that are attempting to do this around the world. But this is LCM. Yeah. We're not aiming for high attendance. We're aiming for your high capacity in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. The truth is that the Christian body does not doubt the unparalleled victory of Jesus Christ. But they do lack the motive, inspiration, and ability to act in the high capacity that that victory was meant to achieve in us. Church, exalting
6: Jesus is the aim of every Christian. But the aim of Jesus is to exalt his nature and testimony through your actions and to do that in an ever increasing capacity so there's a subtle problem that creeps into the christian community in exalting the unparalleled victory of jesus it's because we find no parallel in our daily actions but this is lcm this morning we have received unparalleled vision that gives us the motive say motive Motive, inspiration,
5: inspiration,
6: and ability, say ability, ability, the ability to parallel Jesus' victory in our daily actions on an ongoing basis.
5: So our message this morning is titled M.I.A. Some of the brighter students in the room will believe that this is an acronym for motive, inspiration, and ability since we've already taken pains to mention that phrase at least twice thus far. And in the less astute, broader Christian community, they will recognize it as an acronym for Missing in Action. Look, as you engage with our title this morning, you may believe that we're referring to the empty tomb because Jesus was MIA, Missing in Action. But what we actually intend to refer to is our own propensity to be missing in the actions of Jesus. Wow. Oh, yeah. That is a problem that we will cure this morning. Yeah. As shepherds of this community, we will lead you in the vision that God has provided for us because we now have motive, uh-huh. we now have inspiration. And we have all ability to carry out the resurrection lifestyle of Jesus in our ongoing daily action. Someone say hallelujah.
6: Hallelujah. Jesus' unparalleled victory in the empty tomb has given us every necessary motive, all the divine inspiration, and every ability to carry out the vision that is before us. We must not be guilty of being MIA in our daily implementation of that vision that he set before us, after all, death could not stop him. Amen: And you and I, church, all of us are attached to him as members of His body. So nothing. Say nothing. Nothing. Not even death should keep us from living as he lived in our daily lives.:
5: So you'll remember that a few weeks back, the Lord began showing us our future. From the book of Zechariah. In fact, in one sermon, we covered 10 chapters of the book of Zechariah as a prophecy to this body. So this morning, we're going to turn to chapter 9 in verse 9. And while you're on your way there, say, Mia. That verse begins. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle in riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The vision the Lord gave us was very clear. It's made even clearer here today by an old donkey and a young, amazing colt, a stallion that Jesus will ride on victoriously. The witness of these two animals was necessary for the triumphal entry of Jesus. One older donkey... In one younger donkey. This was the method that salvation was intended to enter into the scene of the biblical narrative. So in this Passion Week, we saw this exact
6: scene play out in Jerusalem. You want to look at Matthew 21 together? You're going to want to turn to Matthew 21 and say MIA as you're turning there. We're going to pick up in verse 2 saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, and with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. So the disciples of Jesus were looking for a generational pair, one older and one younger that were tied together, much like we are displaying to you today. It's beautiful, isn't it? The entry of salvation into humanity would be co-witnessed by two generations acting together as they were brought to Jesus. What a beautiful
5: story. Brought together and then Jesus rides upon them. Let's look at verse 3 together. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away this precedent in the gospels is so important to the plan of adonai that jesus said if anyone meaning it didn't matter whether it was a king or a pauper that they encountered if anyone says anything Anything. to you the idea being displayed in jesus speech is that no professor no politician no important person who makes any kind of argument should stop this process in action because yeah. the Lord has need of them. This will really make a congregation rethink our generational commitment to raising ministers above all else. Colleges don't need them. Amen. The courts don't need them. Professions don't need them. It is the Lord who needs Them, In fact, his entire plan is dependent upon tethered generations and his glory resting on them. Let's keep going
6: in verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. The prophet Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, every time that you look into the Word, you find a new level of continuity in the text. That's how so all true. of it is tethered together. Right here, what we're reading is actually Matthew thirteen fifty-two, bringing out old treasure as well as new from the storehouse. You begin to pair old and new treasures, and the storehouse displays the glory of God. The triumphal entry of salvation in the world could only be carried on the revelation of the Older Testament, tethered to the revelation of the New Generation and Testament. Now, it's clear that the Lord needs them both. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Both the older generation and the newer generation. This was true then, and it's still true now. Both testaments and both generations are
5: absolutely needed. There's no such thing as an old and unnecessary believer. Yeah. There is also no such thing as an entirely new believer. We have all connected in some way or some fashion so that the old creates the new and the new continues to revive the old. It takes a pair There is no such thing as an old and irrelevant section of your Bible that is not useful to you anymore. And there is no such thing as an entirely new section of your Bible. They are one contiguous unit that displays the glory of God. We've dissected the Bible and suffered for it. And we've dissected generations and suffered for it we are being instructed by god to do this differently as a body and it's not it's why we're not preaching any of the ordinary messages on resurrection sunday we have a word for this community let's pick up in verse six the disciples went and did as jesus instructed them my god we could camp right there as long as you wanted What if that verse was accurate about you and your children and your disciples? What if that verse was accurate about you and all those that God has tethered you to? What if we just did what Jesus instructed? What if our priorities were not in the way? What if our own way of doing things was not in the way? What if we just did as Jesus had instructed All too often on this particular Sunday morning, we celebrate all that he did do. And that's very exciting. Unfortunately, it leaves you with nothing to do. And the whole point of his victory was that you could go and do what he instructed them. Now, you already know from Zechariah and previous sermons that Jesus sat upon the younger generation. We've received vision and instruction about how this must be our motive. It must be what we are inspired to do. We have been given the ability and now we have to take practical steps in our daily lives to imitate this picture that we see in the gospel. We really cannot be MIA. We cannot be missing in action on this vital part of the vision that God has given this community. The older in here, will pace the younger in here. The younger in here will remind and revive the older in here. The only way that Jesus' glory will triumphantly enter into new homes, triumphantly enter into new families, and triumphantly enter into new nations is by maintaining the connection between our generations. This ensures that the glory continually rests on His work as it enters into new places. Yeah.
6: So the vision that the Lord has given us goes on to tell, tell us what the result of this faithfulness in, our, in these areas of our lives will look like. And it's found in Matthew 21, picking up in verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. So you can read other translations, and it doesn't say merely a very large crowd, but actually most of the crowd. So the picture being painted here is many, but not all, spread their cloaks on the road. Somebody say many. Many. But not all. But not all. So many, but not all, cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. It has become clear to us that these cloaks represent us throwing down our own way of doing things. Come on, throw that stuff down! So we're throwing down our own way of doing things, our own preconceived methods of accomplishing what we think is good, or as we affectionately call, goodly. goodly. It might be goodly, but not godly. It has also become clear to us that these branches that are cut from the trees are tools and trophies of the Good things that we think we've accomplished for God in our
5: family lines and also in our ministries. So the picture that is painted here, even in this picture, the reaction to true generational ministry on display is that the people begin to make level ground for Messiah by throwing down and rejecting every method that was not given to us By him. Do you all understand that? You engage with it? Notice that the crowd is in vision following him. And in the coming verses, going ahead of him. This is forming an entire generational line. The triumphal entry of salvation is a continuous line through the generations of this kind of repetitive behavior. We now understand it. We have motive. We have the inspiration, and we have been given all ability to carry this forward into every nation, but especially that region that we've called a swan on the map. You know what else we know from this passage? Do you all want to know? Are you interested this morning? Yes. The Bible teaches us what the response will be to this kind of ministry in advance. We know what their cry will be because verse 9 tells us what their cry will be. Oh, here we go. Verse 9. The crowds
6: that went ahead of them, uh, ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Who this? Who that? that?
5: Who Who that, Linton? Come on. (laughs) That's only appropriate when you're talking about saints or Jesus. Yeah, that's right.
6: The Lord has shown us that he will stir the cities when they see generational ministries done correctly, that they will throw their cloaks and their branches down. They will give up on the methods by which they have been trying to save themselves and begin to cry out, Hosanna, save
5: us now, save us
6: now.
5: Of course, the vision that we've received is dependent upon getting the first part right. Yeah. The older donkeys will have to be selfless. Yeah. The younger donkeys will, will have to be compelled towards maturity. Yes. Let me just say it clearly. If you're 20 years old in your parents' house, get out. You're, you're in the wrong place. The younger donkeys will have to grow up. You know what else will happen? The older generation will have to start to live to see the opportunity of Jesus riding upon the next generation. No more about yourself. No more about what you can accomplish. It is only about what will be accomplished in them. Now, the truth is, this kind of speech, it's, it's not MIA. It's not missing an action from the church world. They talk like this all of the time. They speak like this. It's the actions that back up this speech that is missing from the church world. But this is LCM. Yeah. The Lord is giving us the motive, inspiration, and ability to carry this out. And what we're telling you this morning is that you have to take this mission as seriously as the subject of the resurrection itself. This is the method that the gospel will enter into the nations. It's the only way that it will work.
6: So church, you have the motive, the inspiration, and the ability. And we are teaching this because we want you to believe it to the very core of your being. And even if you don't believe it, we believe it for you. It's why we're teaching these things. And I got a newsflash for you. This method of a generation being tethered through all generations is not a new method. In fact, it is the method given to Abraham. As usual, we learn everything that is good and great from the Jewish people. Somebody say amen in the house of God for that. Amen. And the plan that we have been adopted into all along. We were adopted into that method. So let's read Genesis 12:1 together. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country. Get out. Leave. Get out of your father's house. Yeah, get out of daddy's house. You are over 20.
5: Get out the door. It's time for you to stop sucking on sugar water. So whenever Abram
6: leaves his father's house, this is him throwing his cloak on the ground and throwing his palm branches at the feet of the will of God. Abram is embarking on something brand new, and the best part, he doesn't even know what it is yet. He's just throwing down his cloak and his branches and submitting himself to the will of God. This is something that is revolutionary, and it will begin a family line of unbroken generations that will carry the glory of God to every nation on earth. We're going to talk about Abram's promise, and we got to
5: tell you, it's sevenfold. The book of Galatians says that to fulfill the promise given to Abraham, the precious Holy Spirit came to you. So we need to know what the promise to Abraham is, and it's heptatic in its nature, Essentially, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Watch this last one. Through you, I will bless all the nations. Now, that's not an unfamiliar slide to you. And you see the you, 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 your, you, you. Understand something. All of these amazing things were said to Abraham, and yet he could do none of them by himself. He could accomplish none of them within his lifetime or generation. Everything. Somebody say everything. Everything. Depended on him having a son. That he would stay connected to, that God's glory would be upon. And that son, having a son, and maintaining the same connection and glory. This whole promise was dependent upon that, and it still is. In this church, we're all well aware that Adonai is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Mark 12:27 says that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not actually separated by death. In fact, they're very much alive and together at this very moment. The victory of Jesus in the empty tomb proves that God will raise them together and that they will receive together everything that they worked through the generations together to achieve. The writer of Hebrews makes this point abundantly clear in chapter 11 and verse 40. He literally says that it is only together with them and us that any of us will achieve the perfection that has been promised. It takes a resurrection to do it, to reunite the generational lines. The starting point so that we're not guilty of being MIA and carrying out this mission from Genesis is really Genesis 18. And we could never share it enough in the church, so don't tune it out. Until you have mastered it and perfected it. Yeah. Are you ready?
6: Yeah. Oh, we're going to read Genesis eighteen nineteen. Yeah. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him. To keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. The Lord didn't choose Abraham because he must direct his children and his household. No, the Lord chose Abraham so that he will direct his generations after him. No, no,
5: no. Come on. You have to appreciate that. Abraham is not clenching his fist going, oh, I can't do it. He chose me and I have to do it now. And this is terrible. Abraham was chosen because he will do it. It's a prophecy, not a legislative act. It is an encouragement. It is not punitive. It is not a rebuke. It's rebuilding. It's not correction. It is direction that will happen
6: for him. That'll make you think about discipleship when the pastors grab you by the shoulder and say, I'm entrusting you with this. It's not because you're going to fret and doubt the whole way. It's because you are willing and you will carry out the things that are brought to you. This is not an arduous task that you must do. You've been chosen so that you will direct the generations
5: coming after you. Come on, somebody say, I do. I do. I will. I I do. I do. I I will. Yeah, you just married Jesus in his vision all over again. Woo! So we can't
6: approach this vision, and listen to me, men, we cannot approach this vision with performance anxiety. We can't have performance anxiety about all the things that we must do. Yeah, don't shrink
5: back, don't shrivel up. You are called of God. Stand up into the promise. Come on.
6: I can see some hope rising in some of the eyes of the fathers in this room. And if you're doubting that you can do it, remember that he called you because you will. And today can be the day that you turn the corner and you begin walking like Abraham did. It's not about our performance. It's about his promise. Glory. That is what it is about. It's not about can you do it. He knows you can do it. It's about his promise being fulfilled in you and through your generations. We were chosen for this honor because we will direct our children, because we will direct the generations coming after us. We will be tethered and watch the glory of God rest on our disciples and our children and their children. Others, though, will be found MIA on this process. But in this house, we have acquired the motive, the inspiration, and the ability to carry it out to completion.
5: Look, when you think about it, Jesus entrusted all the glory of God's working on earth to the generation coming after him. Yes. He reminded them in John 15, 16, you did not choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus laid all future glory on the generation coming after him. They were tethered to him and he was tethered to them. Death couldn't stop the process for him. In fact, death had no hold on him. But neither would death stop the next generation. They are alive with him right now. Every apostle that we put on a screen the other night that was martyred is not actually dead. They're standing in their connection to him right now. The process of the triumphant entry of salvation into the nations began in generations, and it only is perpetuated in generations that have no fear of death because they are living in a perpetual resurrected lifestyle. Now, we love Christians around the world that are celebrating the victory of Jesus over death. I mean, it's a good thing to do, but it also grieves us that many of those same believers are completely missing in action on the victorious actions of Jesus and what it was meant to achieve in their lives on a daily basis. See, there is a problem with preaching the unparalleled victory of Jesus because after acknowledging that truth, we then fail to parallel its victory in our lives. The point of everything that was accomplished on that Sunday so long ago was that it show up in your life not once a year, not a couple times a year, not just when your pastor happens to be on the subject, but that you can willingly die in every situation for the benefit of someone else because you're being resurrected. That is the actual victory. If it were just Jesus, what would that do for you? Jesus showed you that it is possible in your life. And look, so many of you, I can see in your faces, you identify with this. You understand it. Your chest is beating because you're engaging with it. And some of you, it's like you wandered in here off the street. And it's not that you did. You came here because somebody loves you and they want you to have this. But you need to come to grips with the vast difference between knowing something is true and it truly being present in your daily actions. I don't want to be harsh to anybody in this room. If you're here, then we want you here. And we love you. And we intend to put you in a box where you have to look at your own life because the God's honest truth is the devil, demons, And nominal believers all know that Jesus was resurrected. It doesn't do a thing for them. They remain completely and totally damned while they feel secure in the knowledge that they have. If you are not experiencing resurrection life that is demonstrated in a cycle of constantly laying down your will, constantly laying down your ambitions for the advancement of His gospel, and watching Him grab you and raise you back to life multiple times every week, then you sit in here a damned sinner, even if you can quote the Roman road to salvation, even if you walked an aisle when you were eight. You will not experience the resurrection of the dead then if you are not experiencing it now.
6: There's something that happens whenever we reflect on the resurrection that we have experienced. We look retrospectively back at the things that have happened and we say, glory, glory in those moments. We want to tell you that the gospel is about the glory that is ahead of us. This is what defined biblical, biblical preaching in the book of Acts, and we're going to begin walking through it, and I want you to turn to Acts 4, and we're going to read verse 2. As you're turning there, say MIA. M-I-A.
5: Have we woken you up yet? Jesus got out of the grave 2,000 years ago. You can get out of your sulliness, out of your molly grubs. And if I've already angered you, it's because you're angry with God. Get over yourself and let's get into the truth together. Acts
6: 4, 2. They were greatly disturbed. (laughs)
1: Let's
5: just be nice.
6: So let's find out why they are disturbed. It's because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Today, in churches all over the world, people will be proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. And the truth is, they will be absolutely right. But the apostles, of course, they taught this. But the emphasis of their teaching was that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead, and that it would occur. Now, the difference might seem slight to you, but hear us. It is absolutely everything, and it is pivotal that we understand that it is the resurrection in Jesus. Lost and nominal Christians everywhere agree Jesus was raised from the dead, but it's another thing to live your life like you are going to be raised from the dead. We could expound on this for another hour or so. Yeah. (laughs) In Acts 17, verse 18, verse 32 of the same chapter. Acts 23, 26, and Acts 24, 21, because they all speak about the resurrection, not just Jesus'
5: resurrection. Not his resurrection, not he resurrected, but the resurrection of the the dead. dead triggered and proved By His resurrection. See, He resurrected that you might continually experience resurrection power. What happens at the last day is the cumulative effect of every day there before. A believer dies and is resurrected perpetually. Again and again and again. This is what they preached. They did not preach that if you believed an event that happened in the past, then you are guaranteed of a future. That is near heresy, but most nominal believers, and some of you in this room, cling to it like a child clings to his pacifier. I am here to tell you that hell will be hot, but the passion of God and the power of God has the power to deliver you today if you can break off your false religious idealism. It is not true. The only thing that is true is the very real presence and power of his spirit inside of you. If you don't have that assurance from his spirit, your intellect will not save you today. This is why we are teaching this. It's not that
6: Jesus just resurrected. It's that in him, you will be resurrected. This means that you can live and die working with all of your heart for the glory of God to rest on the generation of disciples and your children that will be coming behind you. Did you notice in the triumphal entry that there were people going ahead of Jesus? There was also people trailing behind him. The Bible is replete and it's teaching a message that this was always supposed to be an older generation that is tethered to one that's coming behind them. Even when you die, it will only be temporary. Real life begins at the resurrection yes. and that is when you will be rewarded for every selfless act that you carried out before
5: the resurrection of the dead. Look, if you feel separated from your Parents, or parents, if you feel separated from your children and you're pretty sure that the church or the gospel is the cause, renew your connection to Christ and you'll renew your connection to each other. I mean, it's not that the gospel has to divide family or divide generations. It shows the actual divisions that are already there and offers you the chance to heal it if you can step down from being steeped in your religious pride. Come on. Christians everywhere know how to parrot the kind of speech that we're talking about in their words. But they are MIA, missing in action, in their daily implementation. At LCM, we have every motive. We have every inspiration. And God has given us all ability to live in this resurrection lifestyle daily. And it is for the benefit of those that are coming after us. It's how the nations will be one If we practically grab hold of more, more than just a resurrection of Jesus, and we start to think about our resurrection in Jesus daily, if you're really motivated by that truth and inspired in your actions, it will change the way that you react to almost every scenario. A few examples would be, you'll stop thinking in terms of my calling and what I can achieve. Which is really just thinly veiled, selfish ambition, no matter how noble your intentions are. You won't compete with those around you. Why is he preaching? When when do I get to preach? Why is so-and-so getting a chance to, to be poured into to learn an instrument? That is all devilish crap disguised as Christian behavior if you are dying and dependent upon him resurrecting you, if you believe that the only real reward comes at the resurrection, you stop that kind of behavior. You won't shy away from giving all honor and all glory to others, especially the younger generation Because that is what Jesus is going to use to accomplish everything that happens on earth. It's not about me and my. It's about them and they. And you will work for that because everything you lay down is rewarded at the resurrection. And you're convinced of its truth because it's working in you right now. Luke 14, 14 says, and you will be blessed through all, although they cannot repay you. Somebody said, cannot. cannot. No, no, not. No, no, Never not. gonna happen. They will not repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Any man that is not missing an action in regard to this kind of truth will give away all honor. He will look forward to the reward that is accumulating in the generational resurrection of the righteous. When Carlos and Justin Triester were preaching the other night, they were in Luke 14. They were teaching this very principle. And yet, for many of us, we realize it's leaked out of our lives. You don't realize how how deceptive sin is and it creeps up on you. You think you're just ambition, you're just ambitious to do something for Jesus. You should be ambitious for others to do
6: something for Jesus. We're going to go to Matthew 16, 27. Do you guys want to go there with us? Then someone say MIA. MIA. This is Matthew 16, picking up in verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. When you really are motivated by the resurrection, the glory that is ahead of us, When you are inspired by the resurrection, then you have supernatural ability to give your life away at every turn. This is especially true when you think of Jesus being glorified through the generations coming after you. You start to long and begin to search and look for opportunities to see Jesus on their shoulders and you give away any cloak or branch that you hold in your hand. We need to search for these opportunities to let the glory of Jesus rest on their shoulders. This process that began all the way back with Abraham came to the dramatic point of the seed of Abraham entering Jerusalem on triumphal entry. You know that the other family members literally made level ground for him by throwing down their cloaks, by throwing down their way of doing things. And also throwing down their palm branches, their tools, their trophies, their accomplishments, their minor victories. But look what that produced in the family of Abraham,
5: Isaac, and Jacob. Would you like to see what it produced? Yes. Do you remember the triumphal entry where the imagery is throwing down their cloaks, which was something valuable to them, by the way? It could even be used for security, like the title to a car, collateral in a loan. It was something necessary for their lives, but they threw it down. They took palm branches and threw them down. Do you all remember the imagery? Yeah. Well, it's pictured in Revelation 7 as well. And Revelation 7 is really the teleos or the goal of our vision. The setting of Revelation 7 is that every tribe of Israel is mentioned. And they're specifically mentioned by name. It kind of resembles calling a census to make sure that you have everybody there. And then the vision expands to show us what's accomplished. We're going to pick up in verse 9 of Revelation 7. Somebody say MIA when you're there. MIA. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. The point of John seeing this vision is that he is being assured and reassured that what began in the generation of Abraham and was connected to the generation of Isaac and was connected to the generation of Jacob has now reached its fulfillment before the throne of God. In the triumphal entry, Israel threw down their cloaks because they had to get rid of their own way of doing things. They made level ground for salvation to continue within the generational family line. In the triumphal entry, Israel threw down their palm
6: branches because they had to get rid of their trophies. They had to get rid of their tools. They had to get rid of their minor victories. And what this did is it made level ground for salvation to continue in the family line. Hear me on this. If you think that you will always be better than your children, you are in sin and you need to repent. To make level paths for our children, we can't glory in the things that we've accomplished in the hopes that they will maybe be as great as we are. No, we live in a resurrected mindset.
5: That if you're terrified to let them leave, if you Ooh. think they cannot succeed, if you think they need your strong right hand to make sure they don't fall on their face, then you sin against God because you are not leaving room for him to be their God. I love you, Mama. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Grandpa. I love you, Grandma. Get out of their way and
6: let them grow up. We don't need to prophesy failure and difficulty that's ahead of our children. We know, we know that that's going to happen. If you're trying to make your son grow into a man of God, don't tell him how hard it's going to be, how he might fail, and get back up. Take off your cloak and lay it before him and make level paths for them yes! so that they will succeed because it is a certainty. It started back with Abraham, and it is still continuing today through us.
5: Let's jump back to our scene in Revelation. Because in the scene in Revelation, now, somebody say now. Now, now Israel is seen wearing white robes that were given to them. I mean, I'm talking about the righteous actions of deeds that were determined by God and they're not thrown to the ground, they're clothed in them. Come on. And now, say now.
6: Israel is holding palm branches of salvation's victory over death.
5: And where is it? It is in their hands. The whole scene is meant to be reminiscent of Exodus 12, 38, where a mixed multitude had come out of Egypt with them, the nations with Israel. And now we've gone one higher. Every nation is standing in victory with Israel before the very throne of God
6: church, we know what this kind of emphasis on the next generation will produce. We know that if we throw down our way of doing things now, it will be that we stand with the nations before his throne
5: holding palm branches of victory in our hands. Your trophies will no longer be your petty accomplishments in business. They won't be those degrees on the wall. They will not be what you think you left in a checking account for them. You will have thrown that refuse to the ground. What you will now have is the ultimate victory of knowing that salvation, just like Israel and the nations, is connected through your family line. Your whole family line is holding a palm branch that says, I have found the life that is truly life. If you're a daddy in here and you're like, well, it's okay that my spiritual life sucks because my son is doing good. Stand up and be a man. Join with your son. Help your son accomplish it. If you're a son in here and you're like, well, my dad is a great man of God and I'll never live up to that. Stand up as a man. Join with each other. This is one cloak that is supposed to be thrown over two generations. Jesus will ride on that. And if you're hopelessly behind, you're like, I I could never catch up. I've wasted most of my life. Watch what Jesus Christ will do for you when you throw that garbage down. Yeah, come on. It's time to make level ground for the pronouncement of the gospel to the nations. That palm branch can be in your hand. That's right.
6: This keeps going in verse 10. And they cried out in a loud voice voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Notice that they are not saying who is this like in Matthew 21. That's because they know exactly who he is. Notice that Israel and the nations are no longer crying out Hosanna, Hosanna, meaning save us, save us. They are now crying out, salvation belongs to our God. There's a difference between those two statements. Yeah. The cry Hosanna was anticipatory. The cry salvation belongs to our God. It is the present reality that has happened. Oh, the glory that is ahead of us for our generations, for our sons and our daughters. This should be causing motive to rise in us. It should be causing inspiration to rise within us. And it is causing ability to rise within us
5: because it is absolutely the destiny for us. I don't want to digress because the truth is, is we wanted this to be a short message so that it would be palatable for you. Yeah. All over the world, people will be preaching about how Israel received him on Sunday and rejected him on Friday. They're wrong on almost every account there. And how Jesus rose from the dead and, praise God, Gentiles are now saved. That is a ridiculous distortion of the biblical truth. I want you to understand that the same Israel that received him on the triumphal entry is the Israel pictured in Revelation 7. Some rejected him, but not all. There are those that were ahead of him in the kingdom and those that trailed behind him in the kingdom. But there is an unbroken line. And what that means for you today is wherever you stand in the process, you can stand up in it and we can still do this together. Church, a transition occurs. Before the triumphal entry and the cross, we cry out, Oh God, save us. But once we have cried out, save us. And have been saved. Then you cry. Oh God send us. The rest of the world needs the saving. And resurrecting power of the king. Then something else happens. This will let you know where you're at in the process. You begin to realize you can't do it all. You begin to realize the vision is bigger than you. You begin to realize that you need the help of everyone around you. And so then you begin to cry, oh, God, please help me send them. See, that is everything. Whatever you have stored up in a bank account, whatever you have in equity in your house, whatever you have stored up that moths will eat and the, the rotting sinful nature will destroy, whatever you think that your kids will want when you're dead, I want to tell you all that will happen with all of that garbage is your children will fight and you will multiply the sinful nature. Instead, invest everything that you have in the next generation taking the gospel forward. Don't get me wrong. This church is not after your money or your children's inheritance. We want you to stand up and raise children that will take the gospel to the world. None of us are so cold in this room. That we can get it done on our own. We need the generations working in teams. We need everybody to completely focus. On propelling those that are behind them. On and ahead of them.
6: So. When we know that there is the resurrection. Of the dead. In Jesus. We no longer cry. Save us. Save us. But rather. Send us. Send us Lord. Send us. So that. We can save them. Because this is LCM, we're not going to sit in here and celebrate the victory of Jesus 2,000 years ago. We're going to celebrate the great victory in Jesus and our responsibility to continue it. Yes. It's incredible that Jesus defeated death and that victory was meant to do something exponentially better. It was supposed to be the resurrection of all generations of the
5: righteous. The freedom that comes to you when you genuinely believe that death has no bearing on your life or circumstances well that's something that most most nominal believers are missing an action for they never experience that kind of freedom the freedom that comes to you when you have zero fear of dying man it's empowering and it's something that most who claim to follow Christ are completely missing an action on they they are very much scared of dying and very much will spend their last dime to preserve their life instead of propel the gospel the encouragement that comes to you when you aren't working for reward in this life when you are living in a resurrection lifestyle that says wow that was insulting but I'll be repaid at the resurrection. Wow, that just took something from me, but it's okay, I'll be repaid at the resurrection. Wow, that is unjust and unfair, but you know what, it's okay, I'm living for the resurrection, I am piling it up. That resurrection lifestyle was meant to free you from self-promotion, free you from the need to compete with anyone All you want to do is run on ahead and propel others to advance the gospel. Hebrews 2 teaches something we don't have time for right now. But it says literally that we do not at present see everything subject to Jesus. But we do see Jesus raised and crowned with glory. I want to tell you, he is the head of the body. What happened to him is destined to happen to you if you live in this lifestyle. The head has been glorified, but we are waiting on the body to complete that process. We must live in this responsibility now. It's like saying, I did
6: something for the Lord, but I'm waiting for my dividends. It is our glory to never receive credit Or benefit from anything we do from the Lord, because we know that it is stored up for us on that day we rise with Him. That would be a bigger poison pill than Twitter just took to avoid free speech. That's right. So, at this point, we want to refresh something the Lord has been speaking to all of us from Zechariah 2. And you're going to want to turn there. This is Zechariah 2, verse 3 through 5. Say, run, as you are turning there. Run! Run! Run, tell somebody. Tell them. Lord, the children, tell them. (laughs) The angel who was speaking to me left. And another angel came to meet him and said, run, tell that young man. Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. It's a great day when your house is full of men and steak. And I myself will be a wall of fire around them, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. Church, we know that this is true of the Jerusalem. But the Lord has been sharing with us the ways in which he will make this house limitless. That's because we are throwing down the cloaks and branches in our lives to make level ground for what God is doing in our lives and the generations. This will result... In untold numbers of generations that stand before him in glory, wearing cloaks of righteous deeds and hold victory over death in their hands.
5: When you engage with Zechariah 2, the Peshat of the verse does speak about the Jerusalem. The whole Bible is Israel-centric and Israel-dependent. But the truth is that this local house is also part of the Jerusalem. Every generation that is properly tethered to Israel and tethered to the next generation will make up the greater Jerusalem that descends from heaven. When you go home, read 1 Peter 2, 5, and you'll find out that you, like him, are living stones being built into a spiritual house. This is generation, stacked on generation of connected fathers and sons, connected rabbis and Talmud, connections that carry the gospel. Now, the fact is that the description of Revelation 7, that is kind of a completion of the triumphal entry, is Israel standing with the nations. It is Israel standing before the throne of God. But it is also repeated that Peshat literalism right there is repeated in a beautiful spiritual picture in Revelation 21. We're going to read it to you and you can envision it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. For the old order, the old cloak, the old branches have passed away.
6: So in Revelation 7, Israel and every nation were standing as a multitude before the throne. And they're arrayed in white garments and they hold victory in their hands. Here in Revelation, they are in the heavenly Jerusalem as a city without limitation of any kind. There's no tears. Death is gone. Pain is gone. And the old order of things is gone. And it's been restored. Revelation 21, 14 says the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the land.
5: How do you have 12 foundations for something? 12 foundations for the floor that you're sitting on. These are the generational works of the apostles stacked on top of one another. And then you and the generations coming after you are stones stacked on top of them to build a limitless city that God's glory rests on. Now how could you dare call yourself a Christian when your entire life is not dedicated to that? It's like thinking that you were a professional football player because you attended the game. I made the Super Bowl. I was at the Easter service. I did better than that. I show up once a quarter. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection was so costly, was so important, was such a trigger for all that must come after him that the only ones that will be in that city... In glory are those that lived exactly as he did. There is no lower bar for you who grew up Baptist. There is no lower bar for you who are Methodist. There is no lower bar for you who have made up your own religion within your home. You either live exactly like Jesus did, or you do not make up the city that remakes the entire world. But we're speaking to the majority of people in here who are building that city right now. And we're telling you that God's method is by connecting to those that you would see as coming behind you and putting them before you. No more talk about, I I need to preach. I need to preach. No, be fighting for your brother to preach. No more jealousy because somebody else is being trained for a ministry task, and you feel like you 're being overlooked. you disqualify yourself when you think like that. What we are going to do is fall down and die as stepping stones for those coming behind us to get higher what Jesus what began as Jesus entering Jerusalem on a pair of generational donkeys became endless tethered generations that all work towards one purpose. That the resurrection of Jesus would become the resurrection in Jesus for the whole world. The foundation of all of this is Jesus starting it by entrusting all the work of God on earth to the generation coming right after him. And then those apostles and those believers doing exactly the same thing. We at LCM will not be MIA in this regard. In fact, we're setting all hopes on it. We're betting it all on that one turn of pitch and toss. That's
6: because in this house, we are motivated to ensure that the glory of God rests on the next generation. We're inspired to equip and empower them for the work ahead. Because we are able... Because God is making us able to succeed in accomplishing this vision
5: generationally. We will gladly, in this house, endure every hardship. We will gladly, joyfully enter into imprisonment. We will face down the demons of discouragement for the hope of the resurrection that has become our lifestyle. We will rise to the place where we refuse to be released because we know our actual reward is yet to come and we don't want to attain it now. Our task is not to finish the global mission within our lifetimes. Get that very straight. We're never going to complete that in our lifetimes. The task before us is to raise up generations that will until the resurrection occurs and it's accomplished where all of us are together standing in the life of God. If this describes what you are now dedicating your life to, then please stand in our untraditional Kaddish because something is happening. We are actually renewing the tether right now to those generations that have gone before us in the faith and did not see this accomplished. And at the same time, we're extending a tether outward to the generation that will finish what we leave undone in our lives. We join with the heavenly cloud of witnesses saying we will complete all of this together in the resurrection. Hebrews 11.39 says, These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, we will all be made perfect with the generations that have gone before us and those that continue after us we will be made perfect together, and we will stand dressed in white with palm branches in our hands that are the victory of salvation in the nations, and we will cry out, Adonai has saved us, the faithful in Christ. Y'all pray with me. Father, we thank you. You have laid out for us, not only our life's work, but the work of the lifetime of our generations. Father, let your resurrecting spirit move upon us now. Help us in your spirit of holiness to grab hold of the vision, Lord, we love all that you've accomplished. Help us have faith to believe you can accomplish it through us and our children. We dedicate ourselves to you afresh today. We ask you to resurrect our initial zeal We ask you, mighty God, to resurrect biblical Christianity in us. We yield to you, Lord, as we worship you in this moment. We worship you, King Jesus, here and now.